You know, we are, um, we're in a series on holiness and righteousness. Um, I wish I could tell you how many weeks we're going to be into this or how many months we're going to be into this. And I'm not really sure, but what I do know is I'll know when we're finished when God says move on to something else. That's when I know when we're, when we're done. But um, so up till that point, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to seek in our lives. We're seeking to live holy and righteous lives. And sometimes, let's just be honest, that's just downright difficult to do. It is not an easy task to live righteous and holy because most of the time we just don't feel that way. We just don't feel like we're righteous. We just don't feel like we're holy. And so sometimes what we do is, in that whole idea and that thought process, if you're thinking about it at all, you're going like, I don't feel that way, God. So you kind of go like, so what's the use in even trying to be holy or righteous? I mean, why do we try so hard to strive at something that we just think we can't obtain? We know that God said, I am holy, therefore be holy as I am holy. And we're like, how do you... Do that because I don't know how to do that. And part of the problem is, is that we have forgotten or we don't necessarily know what holiness is. We have an idea. We think we have an idea of what holiness is. But let me remind you what holiness, what it means to be holy. First, let me say this. That the opposite of holy is not wicked or evil. But the opposite of holy is common, ordinary, generic. So then to be holy is to be special, chosen, set apart, uncommon, belonging to God. So then when you choose to be holy, you are being set apart for God to be uncommon, not belonging to the commonplace things that this world is calling you to be. You're not to be commonplace. You're to be uncommon. You're to be set apart. You're to live your life for God in a way that people who don't know Christ can't. I mean, people who are unbelievers who do not walk with Jesus are just plain old common folk. You want to be one of those guys? I certainly don't. Uh, You know, for me, I I, I want to try and live in the realistic world. So I'm medium height, you know, I'm average height. There's people taller than me and there's people shorter than me. I've got medium intelligence. I don't work for NASA building rockets. Um, But I, you know, I'm not on some assembly line where I'm putting a bolt in. I have a little more going for me than that. And so, you know, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm like you guys. We're all just kind of average people until Jesus called our name. When he chose us, we became above average. We became uncommon. We became holy and set apart for God. And so that makes us totally different than everybody else. Now, it's not that we walk around looking down our nose at everybody else and going like, hey, I'm holy and you're not. Because that's not, that's pride. That's not Humble holiness. That's just pride. And so what we're doing is we're trying to step into being who God has called us to be and know what that looks like. And part of the way that we understand and learn 
what it means to be a holy person is by the way that we love and worship God. And Jesus gave us a clear pathway. There's four different ways that we do that. And it's found in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It says to love the Lord your God with your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And when Jesus said that we are to do that, if we are to love God that way, in essence, we are being set apart and uncommon in our relationship with God. Having, having a love and a worship of God, like Jesus says right here in this passage, is totally different than being a religious person. Because a religious person operates out of rules, out of regulations, out of lists of do's and don'ts. When you are in relationship, you operate out of love. And that's what Jesus says. That's what we're supposed to do. So when Jesus said we're to love God with all of our heart and our soul, those two things, he is saying that we are loving God passionately. That's where our passion comes from. While loving God with our mind and our strength is loving God practically. Now, I want you to see what Jesus does with this greatest of all the commandments. He speaks to those who are more passionate in our love and our worship of God. We're fervent and more demonstrative and expressive in our relationship that we have with God. But then Jesus speaks to those who are less touchy-feely in our love and worship of God. We tend to be pragmatic, matter-of-fact, systematic, relation or rational and logical in our approach to God. Now, if you're on the experiential side and emotional side, you can look at someone who's on the pragmatic side and you could go like, you know what? Your love and your worship of God is really kind of dead. It doesn't amount to much. There's no life in it. While the other peeps on the other side can turn around and go like, you guys worship God through your that's emotionally based worship and love of God. Yours is just shallow and meaningless. You need to come and get into the deep end of the pool. But what Jesus is saying, he's going, if you want to know and worship God in all of his fullness, in all of his glory, he says we have to worship and love God both in spirit, that is passionately, and in truth, that is practically. You see that? You see how Jesus does this thing? Because he's, talk, he's not just talking to one kind of a person. He's not just talking to the people that can get really excited in worship and get their hands up and wash the ceiling kind of thing. He, he doesn't just come to the guys that can read into the Word of God and go deep into theology and doctrine and understand all the deep things of the Word of God. He's saying, I want everybody to belong and to worship and to come and to know and experience Jesus at a deep level. And I want you to know it through your emotions. I don't want you to check your emotions at the door. I don't want you to check your brain at the door. I want you to come as a full person the way that I have created you. And so if we're going to really want to encounter God in all of His fullness, we have got to step in and worship and love God with all of our with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and today, in, in Mark 12, with all of your strength. 
Now, what does that exactly mean to love God with all of your strength? Well, if you talk to a little kid and you talk about strength, what do they think of? Muscles. Show me your muscles. And what do they do when you say, show me your muscles? Come on, everybody do it together. Because you were a little kid when, whoa. And they walk around and they just think that they're just like, oh, look at my big muscles. You know. I know. That was worth the price of admission, wasn't it? Now. That's kind of what we think when we think of strength. We kind of think of how we use our, our physical body. But, you know, in Mark's gospel, the, the word that he uses for strength also means ability. Ability. And I really love that because, because what that does is it tells us about love, how, how we're to love God. It means that God has given us uh, all of us, talents and abilities, and when we use those talents and abilities in the church or in our vocation or in our relationships with others, we can approach it one of two ways. We either do it for the glory of God or we do it for self-glory. But when we do it for God, then it all becomes about Jesus. And when it's all about Jesus, then we're loving God with all of our strength. As soon as it come, becomes about me, then I've lost the mark, I've lost the idea, I really don't see clearly what God's calling me to do, and it's all about me, then I'm not loving God with my strength, I'm just loving myself. It's all right here. It's all brought down to this point. And, and so it, it really comes to what God is calling us to do, to love God with all of our strength, infers that we are taking action, that we're doing something to demonstrate our love to God. That's why in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John wrote this, and this, is, this isn't the gospel. This is back towards Revelation in the New Testament. And you'll find it there. And he says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. In other words, we're not just to give lip service to God. A lot of times that's what we do, right? We get up and we make a proclamation, I love Jesus... I love Jesus with all my heart. And we'll stand here and we'll make that proclamation to Jesus. And we'll make that proclamation to one another. As we sing and we worship God, we make that this way, going this way and this way while we're here. But then when we walk out those doors and we go out there, the way that we live doesn't match up with the proclamation that we made in church. Well, we're duplicitous. In our behavior, we're hypocritical. Remember, when I've told you before that being a hypocrite, really that word is talking about being an actor. It's pretending to be something that you're not. And so in the, in the old days, in Jesus' day, when they talk about hypocrites, they didn't really see hypocrites as really being bad to, as, as we would. Because they were really, when they were talking about hypocrites, they were talking about people who were actors. But when you start to talk about being an actor in your religious activities and religious behavior, then that becomes a different deal. And what Jesus is calling us to do, he's saying, look, you go ahead and make the proclamation. But when you make that proclamation, make sure that your deeds line up with what you say you're going to be. Because if you're going to be a follower of Christ, then everything that you do needs to reflect that guy 
up there. You can't have it two ways. So loving the Lord means to love Him exceedingly, richly, lavishly, with reckless abandonment, out of simple devotion. In more practical terms, it means we're to love Him 100%, to go all out, to give it your best shot. If we fall down, we don't lay in the mud, we get up, we pick ourselves up, and we keep going forward to love Him with all of our strength and with all of our might. Now here's the really interesting thing, and I don't know um, how you came into this church. I don't know if you came to faith and then you came into church, or if you came to church and while you were at church, you came to faith. But regardless of whichever way you, you came, you came to get something. You came to get something, to receive. And that's good. I mean, that's really good. Because you, I don't know anybody that walks into the church, you know, for the very first time and says, hey, I'm here to give. Where do I give? Who do I give to? We don't do that. We walk in and we sit down and we're in that mode of we're looking for what does this church have to offer me? What am I going to receive from this church? What will this church give to my family, to my kids, to my marriage, to my walk, to my business? What am I going to get? What am I going to receive? And that is all good. And that's the way it should be when we first start to come. But after you've been coming for a while, there's this thing that happens within our hearts. We've been receiving, we've been receiving, we've been receiving. We're we're taking it in, we're taking it in, we're taking it. And then all of a sudden one day, there's a transformation that takes place right here in the middle of our hearts. And all of a sudden we're going like, wait a minute, I belong, I'm a belonger now. I belong to this thing called the church family. This is my faith family. And when you're in a family, you don't always come and you take. Because I'm going to tell you what, I was in a family with five with four other siblings, there were five of us kids. And if I was the taker, which I was most of my life with my family, I got a lot of the stuffing kicked out of me by the rest of the kids. They weren't going to sit for it. I couldn't just stand by and watch everybody turn the homemade ice cream and then take of the goods when it was done. No matter how hard I tried to run away from that, I had uh, three older siblings that got a hold of me and kind of sat there and said, turn that thing or we're going to beat the life out of you. I like the life in me. Because I, I, they, nobody in the family wants someone just to be a taker. And all of a sudden there's something that clicks and goes like, I belong. Now I'm going to start, I'm going to take a little bit, but then I'm going to start giving. I'm going to go from being a taker to be becoming a, a giver. You know, the, the word that describes us when we first come and we're receiving all this stuff from God, and it's not, we, we might look at it as a bad thing, is that we are consumers. But the problem where it becomes bad is if we continually stay as spiritual consumers. If that's all you do, if all you do is consume, if, if all you do is take from other people, if all you do is talk about yourself, if all you do is, is it's me, 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 give, 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 take, 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 I want, you know, come, 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 then 
you're going to have a problem. It's going to be a problem for you because you will find that church, your church experience, your relationship experience in church is going to be lacking fullness. It's going to be empty because you can only take what you give out. So to love God with all of our strength is to love with all of our resources, our ability, and our time. To fully love him with what we find our hands to do, our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our feet to go, and our mouths to speak. In essence, we express our love to God by serving each other. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the ultimate server. And so when we think about that in our relationship to God and to one another, then we need to look at what it means to serve and how does that work. And so we're going to walk through kind of those those areas about our, our, our hands, our eyes, our ears, our feet, and our mouths. So here's the first one. In loving God with all of our strength, we love him with what we find our hands to do. We are to serve the Lord diligently, being his hands extended in our world. We love him by giving a cup of cold water to those who are in need, by feeding the poor, by laying our hands on the sick, by lifting our hands in worship, by playing an instrument, by writing something, by helping others. And the the list could go on by doing it with excellence. And and it could go on and on. But the major purpose is, is that in loving God, we do it with all of our strength by using our hands for the kingdom of God. The second one is we love him with our eyes and what they see. The eyes are the gateway to the heart and they're made to gaze on his beauty. Psalms 27 says this, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek uh, that I will seek after that may I... Well, let me start over. I messed that up really good. <laughs> One thing I ask of the Lord, that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. We are to fix or look or keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our eyes come in contact with all kinds of stuff throughout the week. With all, I mean, it, oh. Don't you want to sometimes just take bleach and wash your eyeballs with them? I mean, the truth is, is that your kids see more sexual content in one day than my grandfather saw in his whole lifetime in our world around us. And so how do you keep your eyes pure? How do you worship God? How do you love God by what you gaze on? Well, you, you do it by seeing what pleases God. We look at what brings beauty and glory and honor to the name of God. Number three, loving God with all of our strength means loving him with our ear, with ears to hear. Jesus said, said many times, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
It's kind of a funny statement, but a powerful one. What he's saying is you have to listen to what Jesus says in order to be transformed. You have to listen in order to be changed. You have to listen for more than information. You have to listen to gain revelation. We gain access to his voice. When we do that, we are loving him well. We listen to others share their story. We hear their thoughts. We hear their pain. We, we choose to walk away from gossip, slander, backbiting, and negative discussions. All of these are a part of loving him with all of our strength. Now, listen, I'm kind of right in the middle. That's the, that's the third one. What we're talking about here is a fundamental thing, is that we are asking the Holy Spirit to come and to heal and open our receptors so we can hear what God wants us to hear so that we will see what God wants us to see so that we put our hands that work where God wants us to put our hands at work so that our mouth and our feet, our entire being is being directed by the power of the Holy Spirit, not anything of my own. We are to ask God for the help to do this. The fourth one is we love him with feet to go. Where our feet take us on the journey in life says a lot about how we love the Lord. Jesus laid it out when he said, go and make disciples. The, the Great Commission is about going. We go and serve. Go to church. Go to a friend in need. Go the extra mile. We are loving him with all of our strength when we go where he tells us to go. To be led by the Spirit and let him lead you into amazing places of divine opportunities. That's loving God with all your strength. And we love him with our mouth to speak. Many words we say bring glory to the Lord. When we edify, encourage, comfort, honor, support, and bring life to others, we create access for them to discover God's kindness. We get to love Him by declaring praise and worship as we've already done this morning. We get to love Him by coming alongside others who don't know Him and boldly proclaiming who He is to us. We get to worship and love God when we instruct, coach, or counsel other people in the things of God's word. The best place to do that is in your own home. Do it with your friends. Do it with your spouse. Do it with your children. Do it with your neighbor's children because they, God knows they need a lot of help. Some of you are the neighbor's children, I'm just telling you. But we need to step out and use our mouth to love God. It all counts in loving the Lord with all of our strength. Now, there are people who feel like they're not growing in their journey with Jesus. And I'm telling you right now, if you feel like you're stalemate, like you aren't really moving anywhere, like you're, you're not going forward, but you don't feel like you're going backwards, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not moving forward with Jesus, you are moving backwards. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral. 
you're either moving forward or you're slipping backwards. But if you feel like you're not moving forward, if you feel a little stagnant, a little stalemated, a little out of sorts, out of touch, take an inventory of your life and find out where you're contributing or maybe where you've stopped contributing on your journey of faith. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about other things. And so let me just help you understand that because what happens is is when we get to that point, we usually have an eye problem. And when I talk about an eye problem, I'm talking about right here problem. And so there are five areas that I think that we make excuses for not serving and we let that become the issue. So let's walk through them. Now, I'm going to press in a little bit hard on, on you. Um, honest to goodness, I haven't thought of anybody specifically other than myself and John. Sorry, brother. But here's how it goes. Number one. Number one reason, well, it's not necessarily the number one reason, but a reason, number one, is for not serving is I feel innocent. What? What does that mean? That means I don't know what's really expected of me. So I'm just going to keep coming to church and being a taker. I'm just going to take, 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 take until somebody in the church says, stop, take, stop taking and start giving. And... Um, I kind of feel innocent because I feel like I'm in a season of life where I really need to focus on me. Uh, I'm going to take care of myself. I need, to re- I need to be refreshed. So I really don't want to do anything in the church that doesn't focus on me. I, I, I really need to, you know, I really need, I need some alone time. That's an I problem. And the other I word you could use to describe that would be immature. Number two, I feel inadequate. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not qualified. I haven't been trained. I don't know enough. I have doubts. I still sin. Anybody here feel inadequate? Put them up because those of you that are keeping your hands down, I've got stuff for you to do. No, 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 don't keep, put them up. I didn't get to see who doesn't have their hand. Oh, come, there's, I, I got you. I got your number. All right, listen, for those of you who put your hand up about feeling inadequate, you are in good company. You ever hear of a guy by the name of Moses? 80 years old, and God says, I want you to go set my people free. And he goes, you got the wrong guy. I, I, I stutter. I'm not good in in." Large crowds, I, I, I really can't go and talk to people who are in authority over an entire nation. You got the wrong guy. And God goes, no, I don't. I got the right guy. You ever hear of a guy by the name of Joshua? He's like, I, you know what? I, I've just been walking around in the desert for 40 years. What do I know? You ever hear of a little shepherd boy by the name of David? You ever hear of a guy by the name of Samuel or Jeremiah? You ever hear of a guy by the name of Peter? All these people at one point or another were very inadequate. And what God says is that in your weakness, I will demonstrate my strength. 
And so by being inadequate, you have placed yourself in the best position to do something marvelous for God. God's not looking for a superstar. He doesn't need a guy that goes, look at me. I can do it all. God's going like, please go somewhere else. Go find a little humility and then come back to me. That's what God says. But what he's looking for are people who say, I feel inadequate, but continue to say, even in my inadequacy, please use me. Don't let that be an excuse. Number three. This is a good one. I feel involvement overload. Overcommitted. Burnout. Too busy. Any of those words describe your life? Okay, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Anybody here too busy? Overcommitted? You don't have to lie. It's church. You can do that. You can put your hand up. All right. You know what? Here, here's the really funny thing that just is interesting to me is that um, we're, we're, we're serving maybe somewhere in the church. We're doing something in church. And maybe we're a part of a small group. Um, you know, we do kind of activities within the church. But then all of a sudden, next thing we know, we get a phone call. And, and I don't know, they still call it the PTA? PIE, P-I-E, same as PTA for us old guys. Uh, don't have kids in PIE. I like PIE. <laughs> so you get involved in a PIE ministry at the school. Then you get a phone call because you've got three kids. And so three different people call you up and say, can you coach Johnny in soccer and Susie in baseball and Billy in swimming? And you say yes to all three of those. And then you get a... You get a phone call from a special interest group in town like um, Trout Unlimited, and they want you to serve on their committee on making a habitat for trout in the river that gets washed out every year. And so you say yes to that. And then there's a group of, of people in town that feel like they're so overwhelmed and overcommitted and overloaded with all this stuff that they've formed a new committee in town a new group in town, and it's called the, the, the Group of Disgruntled, Overcommitted People, and they're asking you to be the president of it, and you say yes. <laughs> and so what happens in, in this whole thing is that we start to say, I need to step out of some of my commitments because I've got too much going on. I'm overcommitted. I'm overloaded. I'm too busy. I can't handle any more. I'm at my breaking point. I can't take it anymore, God. So I am going to step back from some things. And where do we step back? We step back from ministries, from serving God and from serving other people in the church. We take a step back there. And then when we find out that we've got some free time from all of that, what do we do? We get hooked up on another committee in the community doing something else because we have free time now. There, there's this old saying that I recently came up across, and I, I remember hearing it a long time ago, but I hadn't heard it recently, but you might recognize it. It goes like this. Nothing changes when nothing changes. Let me say that again. Nothing changes 
when nothing changes. Let me give you the newer version of that. If you keep doing the same old stuff hoping for different results, you're insane. Now just imagine this conversation going on in my home. Honey, you know I love you. But gosh, I'm just overcommitted. I don't think I'm going to be able to clean the garage, spray the weeds, mow the lawn. I don't think I'm going to be able to help with the dishes anymore. I'm just really overcommitted right now. I'm, I'm really too busy. I might be able to make a couple of meals, but I have to eat and run. I'm just, you know... You know I love you, though, right, honey? Yep. You know how that's going to work, right? Anybody got a trailer at their house I could sleep in for a couple of years? Because that's not going to work out so well. Here's my question. What's keeping you, holding you back, from making a change in loving God with all your strength. I mean, if you're overcommitted, come and see me. I'll help you get some balance in your life. I can help you do that. You're not going to like what I have to say because most people don't. But they want to to find some quietness and rest. But when you tell them to quit going to exercise class seven days a week, they just go like, well, then I'm going to get fat. Well, I handle that pretty good. It's not that bad. The way that we love God is by creating space in our lives to serve. Number four, I feel injured or I was insulted. That's an excuse for not serving in the church. Now, you may have been at another church where you said, you know what, I was, I was trying to do something and I was really thought I was really good at it. And um, somebody came up to me and said something that was hurtful. And so I said, I'm not fully on that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just not going to do that. Maybe you think that you're gifted in some area, but nobody affirmed you in your gifting. And so you don't want to serve either unless you're affirmed. You know, it's like us pastors. You know what we say? We say we have the gift of speaking. It's just our church doesn't have the gift of hearing. Somebody can say something about what you're doing and you take it way too personally and you get hurt and you back off and you quit serving. You don't get the accolade that you're hoping you should get. And the reason why that hurts is because you're doing it for the wrong reason to begin with. If you do it for Jesus, you're not looking for the praise, a slap on the back, a good job, nice, good work. We do it because we love Jesus. Um... You know, we've had people in the past in this church, they're not with us anymore, that really thought they had the gift of teaching and preaching. And they did not. And it was painful. And so they never, I, I had to be honest with them. You're really a nice guy, but you can't preach your way out of a wet paper bag. And that's not your gifting. That's not what God's called you to do. Well, I really think I should do something. Well, go go help in kids' ministry. You can teach little kids. Well, that's not for me. 
And so they get hurt. Number five, the last I problem is I feel irritated. You're irritated about the direction of the church. You're irritated that you weren't included on making decisions. You're irritated about what's happening with the worship ministry. You're irritated about the noise coming from the kids' room. You're irritated about the condition of the the kitchen. You're irritated about the weeds out in the parking lot. You're irritated about the the little bit of coffee that's been slopped on the floor. Everything becomes an irritant to you. You become angry easily. There's bitterness that's leaping up in your life. And and you just feel like all this stuff is not helping, and so you're irritated all the time. What that really points out is that, that you want this something to be about you. You've taken your eyes off of God, and you're not asking God... How can I be a blessing to other people instead of an irritant to them? Because when you're always irritated, you are going to be the burr under the saddle to other folks. Rick Warren says it really good in Purpose Driven Life. Anybody here ever read that book, Purpose Driven Life? Okay. You know, it's in the first chapter, right at the very beginning of it. He really gets right to it right away. He says this, and he says it in pretty bold letters. He says, it's not about you. (laughs) whoops, okay, all right? So if you came to church today thinking that it's it's all about you, unless your name is Jesus, it's not about you. And so what God's calling us to do, he's calling us to step out and connect with Jesus. And so that when we're connecting with Jesus, then we're connecting with each other in a way that is loving God by serving one another. So here's the question. How do we really love God with all of our strength? We do it by this this little phrase, living beyond yourself. Living beyond yourself. Self, let me, let me take you a verse that will help you see that we are called to live beyond ourselves. Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Look at what it says. You were called to freedom, meaning that you are forgiven. You're released from guilt and shame. Because of that freedom, Paul says, do not use your freedom for yourself. See what we are supposed to do? Through love, we are supposed to serve one another. You see how loving and strength here are connected? It's the strength that God gives us that we have love enough to serve one another. Far too often we live according to what the world teaches. If you're going to be someone in this, on this planet then others are here to serve you. If you're going to be a leader in your business, at your club, in the community, in the church, in your home, then others are here to serve you. But Jesus' model is that if you want to be a leader, if you want to be great, then you have to learn how to serve others. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to become the least of these. And so we move from living for ourselves... That means what's in it for me to living beyond ourselves. How can I serve others? And that is the premise behind Jesus' words of to love God with all of your strength. The way that you live beyond yourself is by answering the biggest question people are asking of you. There is this huge question that people are asking of you. They might not be asking it directly the way you're going to hear it in the next couple of minutes. 
And they may not even be asking it out loud, but they're asking it with their eyes as they're watching what you do. And here's the question, and I'm going to give it to you in four different ways that this question is asked. What is the biggest difference Christ has made in your life? That's the question they're asking you. Non-believers, people in this world who don't know Jesus, are asking, what is the biggest difference Christ has made in your life? Or to put it this way, what is the greatest difference Jesus has made in your life? Or how about this one? How are you different from when you weren't following Jesus to now that you are following Jesus? How has Jesus made a difference? Or here, here's the one I like the best. What is it in your life that it takes Jesus to explain? What is it about your life that when somebody comes and says something to you, the only way you can explain it is to start with Jesus? Why are you like that? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. It doesn't start with an I. It starts with Jesus. You know, when I sit down and I talk with people that I know are not believers, and they know I'm a pastor. And by the way, <laughs> it's funny what people think when they, when they learn that you're a pastor. They think that you came out of the womb holy and righteous and you've never sinned a day in your life. And so you don't have any struggles. You don't deal with any issues you don't get mad at your kids. You don't think your church are a bunch of jack wagons. Not that I would ever think that of you. You don't, you don't have any kind of problems. Everything's just kind of like, well, you know, it's all, it's all groovy. Me and Jesus, you know, peace, love, and eternal grooviness. And that's kind of what they think. So what I want them to know is when I sit down and talk to them, I say, you know, before I was walking with Jesus, really walking with Jesus, I was a taker. I was a taker. What could I get out of you? What could you do for me? What is it that you're going to bring to the table? What is it that's going to enhance my life that you have for me? What can you do for me? It was basically the bottom line for me. Then, when Christ came in and he changed me, and he's been changing me ever since, I'm still in process in this, but I am becoming more of a giver. What can I do for you? How can I help you? What do you need from me? What can I do, God, that is going to glorify you that nobody's even going to see or notice? How can I exalt your name by the way I live my life? Here's the question. Do you want to live beyond yourself and have a vigorous love for Jesus? Then love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen? Amen. Father, we say we want to do that. That's our heart's desire. We want to love you that way, but sometimes we just, simply put, we just fail to do it. We, we just don't do it. And when we really try to come up with an excuse why we didn't do it, that excuse doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold water, and we realize it. So forgive us. 
We're trying to make excuses instead of just saying, forgive me, help me. And we know you will. And so, Father, we want to love you the way you've called us to. So where we're weak, where we struggle, where we need help, we simply ask that you would come alongside of us and help us to love you the way that you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.